When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. You're tuned into the Project Upland Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Larson. Welcome to the show for episode number 57. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, the premier rough grouse and woodcock hunting experience located in northern Minnesota. It's not all about hunting season up at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. They've got other stuff going on throughout the year, specifically their upland bird training camp coming up here in the first part of May. They've still got just a few spots left two or three spots left for the upland bird training camp it's gonna be an action-packed weekend great education and resource for the upland bird hunter wanting to take it to the next level find out more about it at pineridgegrousecamp.com and by dog truck callers dog truck as you know has a full lineup of dog training products specifically collars they've got a lot of different options this month we're talking about the dog truck pathfinder their GPS-enabled dog tracking collar using the power of your smartphone that you already have and own and carry around with you everywhere. The Dogtra Pathfinder delivers top-quality GPS dog collar at a very economical price because you don't need a handheld. You can pair it right up to your smartphone, and it works really slick. Find out more about the Dogtra Pathfinder at dogtra.com. And by Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. 
made with the highest levels of protein and fat to promote lean muscle and sustained energy for peak performance in your bird dog. Premium performance dog food from Yukonuba provides your bird dog with 100% complete and balanced nutrition. Find out more about Yukonuba premium performance dog food at yukonuba.com. And by Gordy and Sons Outfitters, good old-fashioned family values. Gordy and Sons Outfitters is an independent, local, Houston, Texas, family-owned company founded on a passion for hunting, fly fishing, and conservation. From expert guides to the best quality gear, Gordy and Sons Outfitters has what you need for wherever you're going. Learn more about Gordy and Sons and the products and knowledge and expertise they have to offer at GordyAndSons.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. They've got a full lineup of dog kennels and accessory products. They got truck vaults, water containers, food containers that you can see at Dakota283.com. Structurally sound, durable, built to last Dakota 283 Kennels. If you go to their website and you buy a kennel, don't forget to use the promo code NORTHWOODS50DD. That is NORTHWOODS50DD to save 50% off of one of their Dash products with purchase of kennel and always free shipping from Dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the Project Upland podcast giveaway is a special winner because he shared our podcast with Hank Shaw last week, so he... Sean Wilson is the lucky winner of the Buck Buck Moose cookbook signed by the one and only Hank Shaw. That was a great podcast. We got a lot of good feedback. I hope you enjoyed it. Anybody out there listening could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to this show. Leave the podcast a rating. Leave us a review. Subscribe to our podcast. Share the podcast post send us some feedback or a guest suggestion we appreciate it and i love to hear from my listeners send me an email at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com all right don't forget project upland magazine it's out there it's on newsstands it's available in some barnes and noble if you can find it if it's still on the shelf i don't know if not you can always go to our website and subscribe issue one just released next one coming up in a couple of months check out project upland magazine at projectupland.com and did you catch the latest film trailer for In Our Veins an upcoming Project Upland film featuring the AYA company handmade premium Spanish shotguns AYA's been around for a long time but they've got some neat stuff coming up this year we'll be sharing some of that with you here and we're very excited about it for a sneak peek go to projectupland.com and look for the trailer for an upcoming Project Upland film featuring AYA in our veins. Cool stuff. And I can't wait to get my hands on one of those fine Spanish shotguns. I think they might have some at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. I'm not sure. But if anybody's headed that way, you might get to see a few. All right, let's do it. Today's guest. This man has been upland bird hunting and training dogs for decades, literally decades. Kyle Warren, owner, operator of Paint River Llewellyn's joins the podcast to talk about setters grouse grouse dogs and much much more whether or not you run setters you've got one of kyle's dogs or you've got something completely different 
you're going to want to pay attention. Kyle's a very knowledgeable guy. He shares a lot of quality information with us on the podcast today. I'm excited for you to hear it. And with that in mind, we're going to get into today's interview with the owner of Paint River Llewellyn's. Let's welcome to the podcast, Kyle Warren. All right, Kyle Warren, welcome to the Project Upland podcast. Thank you for joining me this afternoon. How are you, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, likewise. Likewise, I'm excited about this conversation because we're talking about grouse and grouse dogs and things that I love and I'm I'm sure that you love too. <laughs> yep. Yeah, certainly. So it's, I almost said the middle of winter. It's not the middle of winter. We're, uh, we're almost, we're almost nearing the end, Kyle. And I, I think you're probably yeah. eagerly awaiting it yourself, but we're still there. We're in the middle of the off season. So what does a, what does the off season look like for you as far as you're not out in the woods. I know you're training dogs a lot. You have puppies on the ground. I know you had, you had some other, uh, some other big news in the family too. So your, your hands are full, but what, what are you, what are you up to this time of year? Yeah. Well, um, I, <laughs> I'd like to call this the home stretch of the winter here, Nick, if you I would. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I like that. yeah. So, um, this time of year, um, well, we got lots going on. Uh, we had our second daughter born, uh, uh, just last week actually. So, uh, I've actually been off uh, this past week, so it's been a it's been a real uh, adjustment finding our new rhythm uh, with our second daughter, uh, Sylvie Rosaline. So everything's good, and um, uh, so that's that's my biggest uh, immediate adjustment uh, that we do uh, right now. But um, as far as the the trend with the dogs, uh, my my year kind of operates on a relatively formulaic. Uh, uh, end of things uh because i i typically my breeding season for my dogs is usually i try to have pups in the ground between november and no later than may 1st preferably a little earlier than that um so they're old enough for their first grouse season for it to be really fruitful and productive and based on that uh normally then we we kind of roll into uh uh depending upon where i'm holding puppies back for assessment uh, we're kind of falling into that now where, uh, some pups I've kept back from, from litters, uh, that I've had this breeding season are getting old enough to start doing a little bit of work with, uh, it's pretty much obedience right now, given the, the winter is holding on for dear life right now. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, besides that, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm training dogs year round for everything under the sun from obedience to rehabbing aggressive dogs, search dogs, law enforcement dogs, uh, hunting dogs, uh, all that kind of stuff. So that's always happening, uh, um, in addition to, uh, the grouse dogs, but, um, uh, yeah, that's the general landscape of, of, uh, uh, a broad outline for, for what we got going on. Normally, uh, uh, my older dogs, um, we'll say my second year plus dogs, uh, they're kind of idle as family dogs, uh, you know, pretty much from uh, the end of February when our grouse season ends here, uh, uh, last week um until uh summertime uh they're included in my my training business for demo and distraction dogs uh as needed uh here in upstate new york in the catskills um but uh usually mid-july uh we start cranking into um uh preseason conditioning and bird work uh and we work you know pretty much for two months getting them conditioned and 
blowing off the rust and getting them in the mode uh, for grouse season. And in between now and that conditioning time, uh, for me, it's it's all about uh, pouring my my time into uh, uh, developing the young dogs um, that were just born. Got it. Well, we're going to definitely talk a lot about dogs, which I'm really looking forward to. But first, we'll talk a little bit about birds. I forgot that you are you're kind of a you're taking advantage because you you jump around a little bit in the fall, and so as a result, you've got you you get your season extended on the backside there when you go back out east, and you've got uh, grouse season into February. I, I guess I with, do. With that in <clears throat> mind, let's uh, let's just touch you know on a high level 2018 grouse season because you for the listeners that don't know you spend a good deal of time hunting and uh running your dogs in the up and then as you mentioned you transition back east so let's uh let's get the the kyle warren recap on 2018 grouse season well uh overall it was good um you know if we compare it to 2017 i guess uh uh, 2017 was good to me as well. Uh, I, I did kill, um, uh, eight sick birds in 2017 and I, I'd, I'd never seen a, a sick grouse before in my life. Um, so that was very alarming and concerning. Uh, several of them did test positive for West Nile. Um, so I wasn't sure what 2018 would bring. Um, uh, in my, my camp is in the Western UP and, uh, generally it's always been real good to me. I, I pretty much hunt two hours in every direction, which can get me into Wisconsin and pretty close to Minnesota, um, as well. And, um, <clears throat> it's always been good to me, you know, sometimes you gotta work harder for birds, but, uh, my numbers, uh, were steady. I didn't have, uh, some, you know, uh, us Lake Stakes guys sometimes get those epic hours, you know, uh, where you're, where you're getting, uh, you know, a dozen plus birds, uh, um, for great dog work. Uh, those hours were, um, uh, not as frequent as they have been, uh, in the past, but I maintained, uh, my averages and I was really satisfied with it overall. My, what I found around the UP was, um, they had a real, uh, uh, variable rainfall. It seemed as to what affected the hatches. Uh, my immediate area was, uh, I must've had rainfall just at the right time just before the chicks were going to hatch because man the, the some of the birds in my area you know they had three inch tails uh you know in the middle of october um and they were still covered up you know really big at that time and i could travel an hour to an hour and a half in a different direction uh and uh the juvenile birds were you know pretty mature and and looking great um so th- had a lot of that going on um uh throughout this season but uh, overall numbers were good. And from all my puppy people, obviously, I got, I got a lot of eyes and ears out there. Uh, you know, a good chunk of my pups go to grouse dog country um, in the Lake States region. And uh, it sounded like uh, all across the, the UP and, uh, uh, and lower Michigan, um, you know, numbers were real solid, um, <clears throat> even uh, perhaps better than 2017 uh yeah i got a lot of biologists uh contacts out there uh that i that that i've become friendly with and it's it's been a great asset in terms of just keeping a a pulse on on things uh when i when i'm not there but uh they did say interestingly you know who knows how much of this west nile i guess it's going to be to be determined uh you know uh versus rising disease versus you know versus habitat (laughs) i guess is the subject yeah um you know the uh 
normally uh, for those that, uh, you know, live in the Lake States region, spend a lot of time in the dense grouse woods in the summertime, uh, you know, you pretty much walk in those woods with a sweatshirt, hoodie or deet oil or a flamethrower, you know, to keep the bugs off of you. Um, the mosquitoes are so heavy. Um, and that's kind of standard normal. Uh, but I, from what I hear last summer actually was, uh, according to the, all the youpers that I spoke to was the lowest mosquito year that they can ever remember. Um, interestingly. Um, so I don't know if that's a, ends up being a correlation to, I didn't see a single sick bird this year. Um, and, uh, while my numbers were skewed in terms of, how the flow of hunts go in certain covers and whatnot. Uh, my overall averages were maintained and, you know, me and the dogs were quite happy and satisfied with uh, the 2018 season. Well, that's good. That's good to hear, man. And, you know, you and I talked about this a little bit. It, it, it's hard to, you know, everybody has their own experience and, and grouse are yeah. grouse populations are so localized that you just, you hear a lot of different things and it's, it's hard to really compare apples to apples. And I've talked about that before, but sure is. I, f- I figure, you know, the, the best thing you can do is just keep asking, you know, so when you got a grouse hunter on the podcast that had a, a season all to himself, you might as well ask and, and get his or her perspective. Cause I think it, it kind of all adds to our collective knowledge of the, the situation. Yeah, you gotta. I mean, you gotta work for the birds, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, certainly some years can be better than others, um, but uh, you gotta work for the birds. Uh, you know, there's lots of lots of birds that hang out on logging trails. No doubt about that. Uh, but uh, you don't uh, you don't usually catch me on logging trails <laughs> um, unless unless I'm hoofing it to to get to where I want to be. Um, by and large. And, uh, you know, you beat the bush hard and the dogs do what they're supposed to do. And you're looking in the right places, whether they're such fickle birds, um, you know, the, the, the weather can, uh, can completely dictate, uh, you know, where they are. Um, yeah. uh, you know, and it's, I mean, they're, it's funny that you, you, you think about, you know, the, the centuries that these birds have been around and how tough they are and what survivalists they are. And, uh, and then you, you look at the course of a hunting season and, you know, I, I hunt the first half of my season while I'm out, uh, in the Lake States area, I, I hunt every single day, six, eight hours a day, regardless of what the weather is for 40 to 42 days straight. Um, and, uh, while this last season was the wettest, uh, uh, season that I ever can recall, yeah, it was. um, yeah. Uh, you know, I think even the grasses had said, you know what, we just got to do what we got to do no matter what the weather is because <laughs> it's not changing. Um, you know, typically, you know, you, you'll get your, you'll get your gamut of weather, rain, snow, wind, sun, temperature, you know, highs and lows. And, and, uh, you know, you, you hunt these birds, uh, long enough and, and you see how fickle they are and, and how all every, every single variable I mentioned, uh, affects, yeah you know, when they wake up, where they are, what they're doing, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. And then you add hunting pressure, depending upon how, how much pressure your covers get, you add hunting pressure to it, um, uh, during the season. And, and that, that, that adds a whole additional dimension to, to their behavior. Yeah, definitely. You're right about the, this season was, <laughs> it was wet and cold. And the way, yeah. the way that I remember <laughs> that is, I, you know, I mean, I pay attention. I, I, I wasn't in the woods 42 days, but I certainly get out as much as I can. But I feel like 
I've got the Orvis tough shell pants, which are waterproof, windproof pants. And I typically, I reserve them for like, you know, if it's basically, if it's raining or if it's late season, they're a really nice late season pant just because they keep you generally warmer. And I I feel like I wore those things like 80% of the time in October because it was just always like wet, either raining or just the woods were wet. Yeah, it definitely was a, it was a wet year. Yeah, no, absolutely. It was, uh, it was, it was pretty crazy. I think my first 350 miles I did in my rain boots, <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. It was, uh, uh, this, this weather wise, I think this was the season that we could all be considered certifiably insane, uh, as far as the, the weather went it, and it was the 30 to 35 degree rain. That was the killer, you know? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. So, but you know, we go out there and I got a lot of dogs, uh, to work as you know, and, um, you know, we, we were out there and the birds were there again. I think they, the birds just adapted to, you know, whatever, man, I gotta be, I gotta eat, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. And, you know, the, the, the 10 day forecast, uh, that they were looking at wasn't any different than the one we were looking at. Right. You know? <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so quickly before we kind of move on and, and change the conversation to dogs, I, I would be curious to hear not so much as the, like the hunting and the numbers and all that stuff, but when you, w- when do you transition back to New York, back up, back East? Usually, uh, the first week in November, um, is, is when I head back this way. Um, New York, you know, our, our numbers are, are, are nothing like they are, you know, UP, Wisconsin, Minnesota, you know, at all. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the covers that I've been hunting, you know, with my dad since I was 10 years old. And, uh, uh, it's certainly, um, uh, I don't have nearly as many covers. I have to drive an hour, hour and a half to it, but, it you know for for a person that has uh, uh one or two dogs new york has great grouse hunting you know um for a guy like myself i need to be immersed you know in the epicenter uh, of uh, uh of uh you know the you know best grouse hunting that i could possibly find myself in and uh to get all my dogs uh, uh work throughout the day and throughout the season but uh late season here in new york uh certainly like everywhere else isn't as good as october yeah. um uh, in terms of numbers, um, you know, as the leaves fade and the snow comes, you know, the grouse seem to make themselves uh, more invisible. But uh, here uh, we don't have a shutdown uh, for uh, rifle season. Um, uh, you know, here we just have pocket covers. There are very, very few um, thousands of acres sprawling habitat uh, here in New York State. Um, so it's more like, you know, you might hop out of your car for, uh, you know, 20 to 60 minutes, uh, at a time, uh, and you've thoroughly covered, uh, uh, a grouse covered here. Um, so, uh, it's easy to see if there's somebody in there, whether it be a deer hunter, you know, or not. Um, and if there is, I drive on up the road to my next closest, uh, covered during deer season, but I, I hunt through deer season. I usually just don't hunt on the weekends, uh, during uh, rifle season here. Um, and I get away with that. Um, and this year was kind of an odd year. We had a huge snowstorm in November, uh, that put over a foot of hard snow in my grouse covers, uh, uh, for just about a month, which the timing actually worked out. Okay. Cause I, I had most of my, most of my dogs, uh, drop their, their litters on the ground <laughs> at the same time, which was around then. So it worked out all right. And then, uh, uh, you know, second half of December through the first week of January here, uh, the weather, weather was really conducive and, and good for grouse hunting. And I had a lot of uh, good quality grouse hunting here for New York standards. 
Um, and then we kind of got a, a little shutdown in cause January got a little dicey and it's been, it was patchy here, uh, throughout the, uh, uh, second half of January to the end of the season. But, uh, I got out when I could and, um, uh, you know, it's just a battle and been lucky to always have a later season here, but no doubt, uh, you know, November 15th and earlier, <laughs> you know, everywhere is always, uh, uh, typically, uh, easier to find the birds for sure. Yeah, got it. See, yeah, when you say your season goes to February, I'm I'm wondering if uh, is man is he getting prime time prime time action all the way through February? You know, I'm just just comparing. But no, I figured you got I, your... I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that. I mean, I would definitely say from from people I speak to and you know hardcore grouse hunters, uh, you know Appalachia offers. I think uh, you get you get in the good places in West Virginia. I think and you know maybe even Western North Carolina a bit. Um, I, th- I think on a on a really good day, if you're in the right spots there, I think their good day is probably better than than my good day um, uh, here in New York um, from from what I hear. But again, New York is uh, it's it's a it's a good grouse hunting state. The problem is the lack of public land that is at all managed for it. You know, I don't know what the percentages of quality grouse habitat public land versus private is in New York State, but I can tell you that I wouldn't be surprised if it's it's something like. 90% private land, 10% public land, um, you know, as far as good grouse habitat. Sure, we have 6 million acres of the Adirondack State Park. That's, you know, quote unquote, forever wild, meaning never to be touched. Um, and the most of the best quality habitat in the Adirondacks is largely um, uh, private um, or these big clubs, you know, that might be deer clubs and they don't do much grouse hunting. Um, so, you know, you, you got to find your pockets on public land and, uh uh, here, you know, we got a lot of old abandoned farms. There's a, there's a, there's a lot for me between living here and just, uh, you know, the whole new England, uh, grouse hunting history and, and whatnot. Uh, you know, we have our abandoned farmland that it's pretty cool. I have one cover here that the oak tree must be 400 years old and it's an, and it's a ancient Hawthorne Grove, you know, with these ancient stone walls, you know, that, uh, you know, it's just teeming with, uh, history and, yeah, anytime um um you know dogs are pointing pointing birds and we're getting birds out of there is a uh, little extra special it's very different uh than hunting uh in the up or wisconsin uh for sure um but grass hunting's good no matter where you are you know yeah absolutely man there's there's a lot of story and tradition that <clears throat> that surrounds new england grouse hunting that just you know it's not it's not like that everywhere and that's definitely uh I consider that a bucket list hunt. I'd love to make it out there at some point and, and hunt those covers just to say that I did and kind of see that, yeah. the, you know, the stone walls and everything. It's uh sounds very cool, but yeah. I appreciate, uh, appreciate the recap, man. And, and I did want to cover that a little bit, but we've got lots to talk about. So let's dive into <clears throat> paint river Llewellyn's. Give me the, give me the story, man. Tell us, tell us about paint river Llewellyn's and what it is, what you do and what, yeah, you, what sure. you're doing. Um, so Paint River, um, uh, officially, uh, well, I got my first Llewellyn in 2004. Um, I grew up with bird dogs. We had, uh, short hairs. Uh, I had three ants that, um, uh, professionally bred dogs. So I grew up in a dog breeding family and on a small farm and, uh, you know, I just trained gangs of dogs and, uh, got, uh, got a lot of exposure to mostly short hairs early on. We belonged to a bird dog club and, uh, there, you know, they had a big thousand acre lease property. We release birds all the time. And that's really where I fell in love with <clears throat> grouse hunting. Uh, because, uh, you know, we tally up, you know, at the club there, like how many, uh, 
how many pheasants were released, how many were killed, how many chuckers were released and killed. And then they had a third column for grouse, you know, and, and we, everybody was always see grouse every time out. And there's like 20 guys in this club, a bunch of different dogs. And, uh, you know, there was almost never a grouse taken, but you saw da- tally marks for grouse flushed. Um, <laughs> and, you know, so that, that was always intriguing to me because I've always been the, the guy that likes a challenge. And, um, so we had a short haired Jesse that, uh, uh, we, we didn't know how to train at all. I was 10 when we got the dog. I fell in love with watching this dog work. We took her out all the time. She was a phenomenal dog and, uh, that kind of sparked my bird dog passion. And, uh, you know, fast forwarding through having trained hundreds of dogs, uh, through my teenage time. And, uh, I got a Vishla when I was 16, had that dog for a while. He was a, a really good quality dog, mediocre grouse dog. Graduated to a wired hair Vishla and, uh, she was a great dog, a good water dog, a, a better grouse dog. Um, and then, uh, 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 had a, a couple Britneys here and there that, uh, um, I, I had a, some started dogs that I had for a while, but 2004, um, uh, I, I got my first Llewellyn, uh, from, uh, uh, Keith and Tessa Smith, uh, Lynn Hula Llewellyn's who's now retired in Western PA. Um, and they, you know, I had trained several Llewellyn's and I, I, I really liked the way they handled, um, uh, they were easy. <laughs> and when I, when I went there and I met, they had like 14 or 15 dogs at the time. Uh, you know, there wasn't a dog there that I, I, I didn't like, you know, hanging out with, I saw several of them running the fields. So, uh, I got a female, um, and, uh, that was, uh, uh, as I say, my first last type of grouse dog, uh, that I'd ever have, uh, she was just amazing. She's actually still with us today. She'll be 15 in another month. Um, and, uh, just amazing natural point on a retrieve hunt for the gun. Uh, just had everything that, uh, a guy that likes relatively close working grouse dogs would want to have. So she was kind of the start of the program. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was 2004, uh, had a few litters over the years, uh, or in the earlier years, the last seven years. Um, I, I really, uh, really dove in uh, head first more so because uh, my breed is uh, uh, sadly uh, my lifetime without radical change is likely to go extinct uh, based on the size of the gene pool. Um, yeah, they're only recognized technically by the, uh, the field dog stud book. Uh, they're, they're essentially currently considered a, a pure strain of the English setter and uh, um, other organizations such as NAVDA and AKC uh, you know, identify them as an English setter. Um, but Field Dog Stud Book, the founder of Field Dog Stud Book, uh, uh, acknowledged them as a separate breed. Um, so they're labeled Llewellyn's with them, but they, they basically stem from a, a, a very small group of dogs, which uh, Duke uh, was a, an English setter. This other dog, Robe, which he was bred to, uh, named Robe, was half South Esk and half Gordon setter. And then those two dogs and their offspring were bred to a bunch of Lavrak setters, uh, which uh, cover uh, a lot of history in the English setter world. Um, so in order to be a registered Llewellyn, you have to basically be a descendants of that pool of dogs. So there's only so many different crosses you can do. And then add 120, 30, 120, 30, even 140 years at this point to that history. Um, and, uh, you know, we're we're a little bit pigeonholed, uh, with our genetics. Um, so I do take advantage of advanced genetic testing, uh, to try to maximize the health of the breed. 
Uh, but we'll see where it goes. I'm, I'm doing what I can on my end to spearhead uh, their health and some new projects, hopefully coming down the pipeline uh, in the years ahead here. But um, uh, I, I really felt like seven years ago, uh, I, I bought my property out west uh, then. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I really committed myself at that point to trying to better the breed and do what I can for their survival. And, uh, you know, out of all the pointing breeds, <clears throat> I, I strongly feel that there is no breed, no pointing breed that, that, is, that has more diversity within a breed than the English setter. And under that label, we'll, we'll say we'll blanket the Llewellyn setter in there. Um, and then you look at uh, how everybody has their preferences. You know, you know, the, you know, all the stories, you know, you know, close working, long range, you know, uh, um, you know, different different types of styles, you know, uh, you know, hard dogs, soft dogs, um, you know, true pointers, more tracker type dogs. And and everybody's got their preferences. So when you take all those preferences and then you hone it down to the Llewellyn setter that has a really small gene pool and you divvy it, divvy it up, you know, all, all those different ways geographically across the country and, and people's preferences. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a very small pool of dogs for me to choose from. Uh, and uh, uh, we have some good breeders uh, in the Llewellyn setter community. Um, unfortunately for the size of our gene pool, um, we don't have enough uh, good breeders and we don't have enough good, uh, uh, good blood to, to go around to choose from. So I pretty much collectively have, uh, over my 14, 15 years of having this breed have, uh, bought dogs from over a dozen different people, uh, uh, you know, in, in this time span and the last seven years, like I said, it's just been really dedicated to finding the best Llewellyn grouse dog blood out there. Uh, I usually, uh, if I'm not, if they're not coming from my own litters, I usually, um, buy several of the same gender from a, from a litter, uh, and, and hopes that one works out and makes the cut. Um, you know, uh, one of the things, you know, obviously kennel blindness is, uh, always a concern, especially nowadays as, uh, as my dogs do live in my house and are my family companions, uh, as much or even more so than my hunting dogs. Um, you know, emotional attachment, uh, modern technology. There's so many variables today that, uh, a hundred years ago were not a factor in, uh, 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 breeding stock selection. Uh, and, uh, so remaining objective and, and trying to keep the, the very best ones. I'm a, I'm a big stickler for early development and, uh, you know, first season superstars, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, for, for my, for my program. Uh, you know, I've, I've been professionally training dogs for 22 years, training dogs for 26 and, you know, dog training's a very, uh, very crafty title. We know it's all about people training. Um, (laughs) so, you know, so, so if there's anything that I've learned is that while, you know, us bird dog people love our dogs and we, and we do everything we can within our sphere of knowledge to, to do it. Some, sometimes our sphere of knowledge is much smaller than than we realize. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, the more, the more bird dog puppy is doing in its first year of development naturally. Um, I find 
the less those dogs get screwed up by their owners and handlers because they're 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 seeing what they want to see you know so we're we're an impatient species <laughs> so you know we want to, we want to fast track everything all the time or we want to try to make the dog do something and and I have just found as a breed for me and my liking, I, I've seen phenomenal grouse dogs in every pointing breed across the board. Uh, so I'm, I'm not a Llewellyn snob where I like to think I'm not. Um, but uh, they're just a breed for me. They hunt the way I like to hunt uh, collectively. Uh, collectively, they, they have the type of temperament that I like. Um, and, you know, within them, there's great Llewellyns and there's terrible ones um, like any breed. But I, I really look for the early development. Um, and I, I find that this breed um, and the families of dogs that I've uh, uh, focused on uh, has has really offered that. Um, so with uh, with just uh, some hand holding um, and some visual uh, props and help, uh, most of my uh, pup clients, uh, you know, are usually able to get them on birds. They can usually do a really good job um, with yeah. with their dogs in their first season. Awesome. Well, that was that was a lot to chew on there, Colin, and you touched on a bunch of stuff that I'm glad you brought it up because I was going to kind of ask some questions to try to get some of it out, but you really covered a lot of it. Well, we will talk about development and some of those early signals. Cause I'm, I'm really curious in on your perspective and opinions on that. But the, the main thing I wanted to kind of clarify was because I do think it's a little gray and I think you alluded to it is the Llewellyn thing in that, you know, at least in the field dog stud book, Llewellyn's are, they're recognized as their own specific breed, but it sounds like that's not the case everywhere. And you kind of, you know, as you summed it up, you sort of said, we'll call them an English setter, but they are a, a very distinct bloodline. And I find that's, I find that very interesting. And like you said, the amount of diversity in the English setter breed is it's, it's fascinating really. Yeah. You know, I mean, <clears throat> you know, you and I belong to, what what do you think 70 bird dog facebook groups yeah <laughs> yeah know, about so, that <laughs> so um you know so we get uh we get a a, a a bird hunter that that's looking for their next dog right and and they say you know what breed of dog you know um uh you know should i get or what do you think of this breed of dog for doing this and and uh <clears throat> that's that's the you know, I, I would say that's, that's more than a weekly question, you know, in, oh, yeah. in these, in, a, in our bird dog circles. And, you know, one of the things that I try to emphasize, uh, especially within the English setter, um, is that, uh, you know, you need to find a breeder that hunts what you hunt the way you want to hunt. Um, and that you can take that and make that a blanket statement regardless of what the breed is. But when you're talking about English setters and trying to make a generalization, you can't, um, you really can't. Uh, I mean, there's, there's so much diversity, uh, across the spectrum and how they point, if they honor, if they retrieve, you know, what their natural range is, their level of independence. I mean, there's just, <clears throat> it goes on and on and on. So it's, uh, uh, really difficult. You really need to, you really need to, to study, uh, where your dogs come from and, uh, you know, uh, what, what path you really want to, want to go down, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to just say that I, it may be a blanket statement, but I think that's a really good one because, you know, people, uh, even sometimes they ask me for dog advice, which may not, may not be the smartest thing to do, but I always, you know, I always will kind of say like, you know, there's a lot to look at and you want to consider, 
you know, basically if you're starting from scratch, you want to consider all breeds, but I really like the way that you put that, find a breeder that hunts, that hunts what you want to hunt the way you want to hunt, you know, almost kind of keeping breed on the sideline until you kind of narrow it down a little bit, because that is really important. And man, like you said, you've seen good grouse dogs in, in a lot of different breeds. There's just so much diversity out there. It's, it's a, it's a broad, yeah, it's a broad topic. Yeah, I mean, in my in my in my uh, you know personal and professional career, I, I've hunted over in the grouse woods almost 500 dogs and across you know dozens of breeds, you know, 95 uh, percent of them pointing breeds, and um, I've seen great ones. I've really seen really good grouse dogs in, in all in all breeds. Uh, there's there's a lot of variables to it. You know, there's you know genetics genetics and exposure and uh, you know, uh, appropriate deven- developmental upbringing. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, you just, you, you need to find, you need to find, um, uh, that, that breeder that, that fits you. Uh, and, uh, I turn, I turn a lot of, a, a lot of people away from my dogs because I, I don't think they're going to be happy. You know, I tell them, you know, my, my dogs, uh, you know, my dogs are, 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 are very good quality grouse dogs. Um, but they are not what, you know, the person on the phone is describing to me they're looking for, you know? So, um, uh, that's, uh, that's not, uh, you know, I, it, the recipe for success is, is, uh, you know, matching the the dog to the owner, um, the best you can. Now puppies, obviously, you know, nobody has the crystal ball. You know, I certainly have the things that I look for and, and, and whatnot. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, when you're looking at a family of dogs and, and, uh, you know, playing the odds, you know, generally speaking, uh, uh, if, if somebody's fine with, uh, just running their dog on, on a Garmin and, and never seeing it, you know, it's going 200 yards, you know, um, and they want the dog just getting out, 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 you know, it's, that's not going to be my dogs, you know, there's nothing wrong with a dog hunting that's way that way, if that's what you want, you yeah. know, but you need to make sure that, uh, uh, you know, you, you have your, uh, you have, uh, you know, lengthy conversation, you know, with your, with your breeders. And, uh, you know, if you have the option and opportunity to, to hunt with the dogs, that's great. Uh, planning means a lot. You know, I, I always say I, I got two kinds of puppy buyers, my planners <laughs> and my impulse buyers, you know, there's nothing like in between, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, and sometimes the impulse buyers are, are seasoned hunters and everything's right. It's just timing works out that way. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I got people that are planning three years ahead, you know, and then, uh, the quote unquote last pick of the litter that nobody wanted, you know, 30 people want once they see a nice picture of it in a little video, you know? So it's just, uh, <clears throat> it's funny how things work, but you got to select the, the, the right, the right, uh, family of dogs for you to increase your chances of, of hoping to get what you're looking to get. Yeah, definitely. So I think we've, we've laid a, a pretty decent foundation here to kind of lead this conversation. So if I'm talking to somebody that has had the <laughs> opportunity to watch almost 500 dogs, run on grouse. I mean, that's a luxury that I have not had. And, and I don't care who that person is. That's that perspective is valuable to me because that's a lot of dogs working grouse. And when we're talking about grouse dogs, that's of interest to me. So I will ask you, this might be a, this might be too gray of a question, but, I'll, but give it your best shot. Do you have, do you have a definition, like a single definition for what determines a good or a great grouse dog? Um, yeah, sure. I got one, Nick. It's, it's not a, it's not a one liner. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. Um, but if you want it, um, yeah, I mean, uh, and again, I'll, I'll preface my answer with, uh, 
this is this is Kyle's sure best best graphs. Yeah, like, perfect. You know, description, you know, again, because everybody everybody's got their own preferences. Yes. Um, but what what are my preferences? What what uh, what type of dog do I feel that I am most a part of the hunt with? that points the most birds, finds the most birds and puts the most birds in the bag. So by going by that perspective, uh, in my experience, um, I like a dog that, uh, I don't like to hack my dogs. I, I, I have what I call my, my, my kissing system. Uh, if I can make, if I, if I can't keep in touch with my dog just by making some kissing sounds then they're not the dog for me. Um, you know, I, I like a dog that, uh, is, underfoot to 75 yards out checks in very frequently you know in the grouse woods you know classic cover i see them you know 60 to 70 percent of the time uh you know once we get rolling uh into the hunt you know they settle in the pocket 20 to 50 yards um and they're keeping an eye on me you know uh something that uh uh maybe we can do a spin-off topic from this uh, about hunting for the gun that i i feel uh, at least how I describe hunting for the gun, sure. uh, people, people have this illusion. Uh, I feel that, uh, that their dogs are hunting for the gun a lot of times. And I, I don't think they are. Um, but we can talk about that. Um, so hunting for the gun, you know, highly cooperative. I mean, to me, I would not, as much as I love grouse hunting, I love grouse behavior. I love the taste of grouse. I love what a beautiful bird they are. I love, I just love everything about the bird. I would not hunt them if I didn't do it with a dog. Um, and, uh, uh, while I've hunted over, um, some flushing dogs and that's a to- completely different experience. Um, I, uh, uh, the pointing dog is, is the thing for me. And, and I, uh, very, very seldom, there's a few exceptions, uh, but very, very seldom do I ever shoot at birds that are not pointed. Um, and for me, that's, that's my whole experience. And, and I want to see my dog work. I want to see that dog, uh, you know, uh, scanning cover um, in and out of scent. Uh, I want to see that dog and feel that dog being connected to me. And cooperation and hunting for the gun uh, means a lot. Uh, I I like to um, uh, have a dog. I kind of break grouse dogs into two categories, um, uh tracking dogs and true dogs um and the tracking dogs will say have like the cold nose they'll pay more attention to old trail scent um and the true dogs pretty much just pay attention to a scent cone um and so uh a a lot of people uh i would say i might be in the minority um uh in giving this explanation for what preferences but then anybody that hunts over my dogs are like oh wow that was great you know (laughs) so um (laughs) Uh, I would say like two thirds of my dogs are trackers and, and one third are true. Um, so, you know, your true dog, uh, is, can be a great grouse dog and often preferred by, I would say at least half or more of the grouse hunters out there. When, when that dog, dog goes on point, it produces a flush, you know, and we like that. Who doesn't like that? Yeah. Um, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I feel the tracking dogs in my experience, and this is a fictitious percentage, but I would say it's not too far off the beaten path for my own dogs. My tracking dogs, uh, have maybe a, a third to 50% more contacts and produce flushes than my true dogs. Um, uh, they don't handle them better. They're just different. I feel it's a, an additional dimension. Um, and, uh, so, you know, they're paying attention to the cold scent, you know, so 
the whereas the the true dog is is whether you know i won't say their nose isn't as good it's just maybe they they hunt with a higher head they're not as interested in that they they know the bird's not right there so they're they're not committing themselves uh to point um on on that scent whereas the tracking dogs uh the moment they acknowledge grouse scent uh they lock up and handler gets up to them and if it's fading scent or it's old scent there's no scent cone there um as soon as you get in line with the dog the dog proceeds ahead on the trail you know and you might get multiple points you know some people call this false points you know i would call them uh unproductive points uh that essentially are 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 the dogs following the breadcrumbs uh but i would say that very safely 50 percent of the grass that i harvest um are uh from points that uh might have stemmed from the dog tracking anywhere from 50 to literally 400 yards uh, uh on a trail and that could involve uh many uh you know uh many points and repoints um uh, i'm hesitant to call those uh relocates um uh to me i define a relocate as you've produced a flush and then you relocate that bird uh, if you've never actually produced a flush, I wouldn't say you've located the bird. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, so terminology sometimes can uh, get us grouse hunters in our conversations scratching our heads. Um, but uh, yeah, you're tracking dogs and have multiple points while it's tracking. And uh, it'll be slithering ahead of me, sometimes 20 to 50 feet ahead. Um, very cautiously, my, a lot of my dogs are cat-like hunters when they get into scent like that um, because it's cold trail. Um, and as I get ahead of the dog, when the dog is, you know, rigid and not not moving a muscle um, and I get ahead, usually I know almost invariably 10 to 20 feet ahead of that point is going to produce a, a layup shot. And I'm usually hunting uh, pretty dense stuff uh, where I usually don't find many people, but I find lots of grouse. Uh, and in alders and hazel, uh, I shoot a lot of a lot of birds from one knee you know, uh, 10 to 30 feet in front of my dog that just did a trail again, 50 yards to 400 yards, depending upon the circumstance, but your tracking dog will, 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 you know, lock down tight the moment it hits a scent cone, just like the true dog. It's, again, it's just an additional dimension. Uh, and again, it depends on, uh, depends on the, the type of hunter you are. A, a lot of people don't like that. They feel like, you know, it's like this high and low adrenaline rush that that drives people crazy you know or they they feel it's just not it's not a productive dog and the dog's not honest you know and you just got to look at what the dog is doing the dog is tracking the dog is located the bird you want it to find uh the scent of the bird you want it to find and uh depending upon how long that grouse has had its running shoes on uh is gonna dictate uh you know how long it takes you to get to that bird um you know so the true dog um is a dog that I would say is more for everyone. Uh, the tracking dog is a dog for um, somebody that, uh, you know, really, you know, they gets their heart pumping watch, watching a dog work a bird. And, you know, I got some of my dogs, uh, namely two, but, um, you know, that they, if they point a handful of times and, and, and they're getting closer to that bird, um, uh, but that bird is still running, but clearly, they can dis- decipher the parts per million, you know, increase in, in, in scent or odor. Um, you know, they'll do what I hear a lot of pheasant, uh, good pheasant dogs will do. And they'll, they'll just cast around in a big semicircle and pin the bird in from the other side. If they can't catch up to the bird cautiously, because, you know, the whole thing is, uh, 
uh, I never mind my dog um, while it's on trail pointing 50 times as long as it doesn't bump that bird. Um, you know, I always say, you know, uh, you might you might walk in front of my dog a bunch of times on the way to that grouse and not produce a grouse on that particular uh, uh, flush. But my dog's not going to bump the bird. And uh, that's 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 my preferred style of hunting. It's what's put the most birds in the bag for me. I do pretty well uh, in terms of putting birds in the bag uh, uh, due to the dog work. Um, I, I like both. There's nothing wrong with them. I do find the true dogs that are good grouse dogs. They do have a little bit more range, you know, so they, I see the true dogs hang out more on the 75 yard end of my preferred range, uh, than the tracking dogs. Um, uh, just cause they're a little bit more methodical and they're intentionally looking for trail scent, you know, so they might hang their head, you know, between, uh, between their shoulders and their elbows a little bit more, whereas your true dogs might have a, a high head to, 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 an, uh, to a shoulder hold, you know, when they're loping around. So, you know, it's just variable. Um, I have a lot of dogs. So my older dogs, I'll often run in a brace. Um, though I, I do prefer this. There's, there's nothing like, uh, a man and his one dog in the woods. Um, but, uh, you know, for the sake of working the dogs, I'll, I'll often run a true dog with a tracking dog, you know, and, um, uh, running two tracking dogs together can, can, uh, uh, be sometimes a not so fun experience, especially if you're in an area where the, it's a target rich environment with a lot of bird scent, but you know, you, you know, two dogs, uh, go on point at the same time, I'm going to go to the true dog, uh, because I know that it's going to produce a flush then. Um, if, uh, you know, the other dog might just be starting a trail, it might not be, it might not have hit a scent cone. So I go to the true dog first in that equation. And then if I, if both dogs work in and the tracking dog goes on point, of course I go there. If the true dog goes on point, I'm sticking with my tracking dog because I know with how my dogs work that I'm going to get a shot opportunity. Um, and you know, again, everybody's got different opinions and experiences. I agree that you can have a dog that hunts at the proper pace, um, and, uh, uh, you know, slams down that grouse and holds them tight you know, and what we're calling the true dog scenario, but the, the tracking dogs do it too. It's just an additional dimension, you know, a scent cone, a scent cone response is a scent cone response. Uh, you know, uh, when we're talking bird dogs, uh, so tracking, uh, I'm strictly a rough grouse hunter and woodcock hunter, so I can't speak, uh, though I got dogs that go all over the country and hunt every species that North America has to offer. And, uh, I would say that unilaterally, uh, you know, your hardcore wild bird hunters would agree that tracking is, uh, one of the utmost valuable skills, uh, before and after the shot, um, that, uh, that a quality wild bird dog can have, um, to, to help you harvest the game. Well, I got to hand it to you, Kyle. That was a really, really descriptive description of the two different kinds of dogs. And there may be some people that, you know, maybe they hadn't heard of that before. Their heads are spinning. Mine may have been had I not actually, you know, I have actually had the opportunity to see both of those kinds of dogs work. Number one, my dog is very much on in the true column side of things. Uh -huh. He's a he's a true true dog. You know exactly as you described. Um, I've seen some Llewellyn setters that are of the tracking type and I have seen it work. I've seen the point grouse. I've seen it work exactly as you described in that they're on point. You walk up past them and as soon as you're kind of in line with them, they'll move forward. And yeah. yeah, I mean, the way that it's all laid out, like it's, again, it kind of goes back to like, find a dog that hunts what you want to hunt the way you want to hunt. I mean, there's, 
definitely more than one way to do this stuff. And yeah, I think, I think describing that for people really will maybe open some eyes and at least shed a lot of light on sort of the dogs that you run and sort of what's out there. That's, it, it's really fascinating to be honest. I mean, you know, the, the, um, <clears throat> I, I find my, my Llewellyn breeder friends always joke with me and say, Kyle, you could talk anybody out of not buying a dog, you know, <laughs> <laughs> because I, I'm the, I'm the TMI guy, you know? So, uh, uh, I, I, I'm very articulate and I, I, I know my dogs intimately. I know what I like very intimately. And I want to make sure that, uh, you know, again, I don't have a crystal ball and in an individual pup, but, uh, you know, I, if I breed one of my tracking dogs to another tracking dog, well, I, and I know these bloodlines, I mean, there's one, uh, my original Llewellyn that I uh, acquired in 2004, um, you know, I, of the, dogs that come from that line you know i there's almost not a dog that i haven't hunted grouse over in and that line's pedigree for four to five generations i know how those dogs work so if i breed a tracking dog to a tracking dog I, I, most likely i'm going to get that style dog um if i breed a true to a tracker i'm going to mix bag a true to a true i'm going to give more of that and so i describe these things and uh i i think a lot of people um a lot of breeders don't articulate that or you know everybody hunts differently everybody hunts different amounts you know uh i mean i'm in the grouse woods 80 to 90 days a year every year you know since i was 12 years old you know um and i i uh i find uh since it's all about the dog work for me uh i very much like to be able to share what i would anticipate from a breeding from a ter- certain type of dog and and uh, I think sometimes that scares people uh, when when you give them that much information. And and uh, uh, generally speaking, uh, I think on a historical level, the true dog is one that uh, stands out uh, as uh, as desire. But again, I I I haven't had anybody hunt behind uh, my dogs, my tracking dogs, as I label them, uh, and uh, and not have a great time, you know. <laughs> And not have an opportunity, uh, if we're getting in the birds, not have an opportunity to, 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 to get a quality shot, you know. So um, what, what, th- there's, there's combination traits that, that make a tracking dog work um, and could easily throw in another trait or two or flip a trait around, I should say, and it totally not work. I mean, if you, got a, if you have a phenomenal tracking dog that isn't cooperative uh, and uh, ranges, you know, 150 yards, or more, you know, and doesn't check in that much. And, you know, it, it can become a problem, uh, you know, and uh, yeah, sure. That dog's a tracking dog and stuff, but it's, it's not working. It's not working in, in combination with those other traits that I described that I, that I admire and, and desire in a, in a grouse dog. Yeah. All right. Another question on, on tracking versus true. This is, this is interesting stuff. So the classic, classic debate, right. Where the, the tracking dog is, you know, it may track a grouse for 50 to 400 yards and it's going to point, you know, 25 to 50 times and keep moving forward. And you touched on a little bit where you said, you know, every once in a while they'll, they'll hop up in front and pin that bird. And it's the superstars will not, I have seen very, very few rough grouse dogs do that. Okay. I've hunted over a lot of pheasant dogs that are rocking pheasant dogs that come to the grouse woods and they don't do it on rough grouse. Right. <laughs> you okay. know, so, so the superstars will pin them in like that. And I have two I've owned, and the two that I have are the only two that I've ever had personally that have done it. Normally 
you know, they're, they're cautiously chasing, chasing the bird like a ninja, you know, is what they're doing. All right. So on the, on the spectrum then of the dog cautiously following the grouse, the grouse continues to run. What do you tell the person that says, I want my dog to run faster because he's more likely to pin that grouse as opposed to tracking it and letting it run forever. What's your take on that? So, um, my take on that is, is that, uh, people haven't hunted behind good tracking dogs. (laughs) Um, so, uh, I understand, uh, that, uh, statement in question that, that they, that they say, and, and I see it, I have dogs that, uh, that, that do that, but there's a way to track a bird that I would describe as quick and slow, you know, um, that, that produces, uh, uh, if, you know, if the dog is tracking at like a lumbering pace, that dog's going to have a really hard time, uh, producing a point that's going to produce a flush. Um, so, you know, there's a manner in which they track. It's not, it's not just nose down and, and keeping one steady pace. Uh, that's, that's why they, they, they go on point because their handler's too far, their handler's too far behind them or the, the scent concentration has significantly increased. Um, and, and, uh, you know, the dog, the dogs obviously learn that, you know, they got the nose, we don't. Um, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've just, I've never, I've never, I've never been part of that, uh, uh, argument, I guess, because my tracking dogs just don't have, uh, don't have a problem, you know, pinning birds. And, you know, for the person, uh, I had a great, uh, one of my, actually my two longest tracks that I, that I, that I ever had where the dog was highly committed to the trail, had multiple points along the way. We're both, uh, last uh, year, one with uh, my dog Duncan, another one with my dog Omimi and, uh, Duncan trailed. Uh, a bird, uh, 450 yards. And he probably, he probably had, and I had, I had one other guy that has, uh, uh actually two Duncan offspring, uh, with me. We just had Duncan out solo and this was an evening hunt in one of my Uber covers. And, uh, uh, we were tracking, he, Duncan was tracking this bird and it was starting to get dark and like, you know, figuring like, all right, all right we're either going to let this bird go or see it past the moon. Um, but we were tracking and tracking and tracking and he had multiple points in there. And I'm like, ah, this bird just, uh, maybe he jumped the trail and he's following, you know, we're in good grouse area. Maybe he's just following another trail, but he was, he was pretty much, uh, doing something I've seen in these, in these covers happen, just not over this distance. And he eventually pinned that bird down. Um, and we shot at it and we got it. Um, you know, so when we, when we, when we look at that, uh, type of scenario, the person that asked the question that you did, you know, like, well, I want my dog just, uh, you know, pound the ground and, and scare that bird and they're not moving at all, you know, and well, the tracking dogs do that too. You know, it's just a matter of when the bird, when the dog gets into scent, it's not that these quote unquote tracking dogs only have their nose on the ground. You know, it's that when they come across scent, you know, whether they have better noses, uh, I think it's a combination of traits that make that tracking dog. I mean, they're, they're soft temperament, their their cautious nature, the speed at which uh, they work. But, uh, out of all the dogs that I've seen hunt, you know, one of the beauties of the Garmin, you know, with all the dog stats is, uh, to me, kill speed, uh, for grouse. Uh, I don't believe that you can have an all-star grouse dog that averages over seven miles an hour in the grouse woods. I've seen great dogs hammering at 12, 13 miles an hour, but I'm talking about what I call a good grouse dog, you know, staying under 75 yards, seeing the dog all the time. Uh, you know, uh, 
I, I have a, a canine search and rescue background that I feel has greatly influenced the way in which I hunt and, and my perception of how I look at uh, scent theory and, and how I cover an area when the dogs are not in scent. Um, but, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I've never seen, I've never seen a dog, uh, really in my eyes, uh, hold their own on grouse point percentages, uh, that's hunting averaging over seven miles an hour. Um, most of my dogs are, are between four and six miles an hour, you know, whether I hunt them for an hour or two, you know, and, and, and I'm looking at the stats at the end and, you know, yep, there it is. That classic, that classic range, um, Sure, maybe the first couple hunts of the year where they got their wheels on, you know, and they're yeah. mega excited, you know. But you know, subtracting that, um, uh, you know, when they're thinking, you know, they're not running ninety miles an hour, you know. Um, and uh, I can't tell you how many people I hunt with. Uh, I mean, I have, thankfully I still have very good hearing, and you know the value of hearing in the grouse woods. Yeah. Um, you know, and and I'll be hunting with guys that have that have dogs uh, that that range further than mine, and you know they they pin birds, they hold birds, and we get there. But it's like it's like a marathon, you know. Sometimes a hundred yards away feels like a hundred miles away in the grouse woods, and uh, uh, maybe the birds there, maybe it's not, and maybe that dog can handle grouse like nobody's business, and that grouse, you know, uh, is always there. But uh, that same hunter, they'll, they'll tell me how the dog doesn't ever bump any birds. Meanwhile, I'm hearing grouse flush all around us. Did you hear that? No. Did you hear that? No. Did you hear that? You know, they have no idea, and, and they and they hardly ever see their dog. So how can you tell me what your dog is and isn't bumping when we can't hear you know birds beyond like 30 yards flushing, and your dog is 100 yards and never checking in? You know, you don't know what that true dog is bumping or not bumping because it's only paying attention to the scent cone, not trail scent. So, um, you know, you can only really evaluate you know a point percentage, in my opinion. Uh, on, on bird contacts on close working dogs, because we, we can't hear very far past, uh, 30 yards. And, you know, if you're walking through Hazel or Alder and the scratching on your clothes, you, sometimes you don't hear anything. And then you come across your dog and your dog's on point <laughs> and you're like, whoa, and then a bird flies up, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, you, you, you didn't even hear the, if you're wearing a bell, you didn't hear the bell stop. If you're, you're using your Garmin, you didn't, you didn't hear the, the tone on your, uh, on your handheld go off, you know? Uh, so um, you know, there's a lot of variables, but, uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's a hard, it's a hard, uh, answer to give, um, to that question, uh, uh, other than what I just did. And again, I feel that they, those people just haven't hunted over good quality tracking dogs is, is, uh, the bottom line in my opinion. Yeah. I appreciate the perspective and, and again, a lot of detail in the, in the description. And I think, you know, you have hunted over, you know, you've hunted over a lot of dogs. You've hunted over dogs that embody the tracking style and dogs that embody the true style. So the fact that, you know, you speak so highly of the tracking dogs, certainly you're not, you haven't seen anything that a true dog is doing to, you know, to make you want to leave them behind. So I think it just kind of, it sort of adds, adds to the credibility. And again, you know, had I not seen, seen either of these things in action, I might, I might have like no idea what you're talking about, but I I have seen it and it it makes a lot of sense here in the way that you describe it for sure. But yeah, I mean, it scares people, you know, when I, when I, when I break them down that way, because I, 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 I haven't really heard many people describe the differences, you know, other than, you know, the tracking and the repointing as a negative, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, so when I start to articulate it, you know, people get a little jumpy and they're like, well, which one's your true dogs, you know, as far as like puppy picking. So I (laughs) highlight them 
And then they're like, and they're like, well, which one's your best dogs? And then I describe them and they're the tracking dogs. And then they're like confused, you know, because that's not in their mind what they, you know, what they envision as a dog based on their own experience, you know, or whatnot. And again, I love them both. You know, I got some super trues and some super trackers and uh, they're just, they're just different. Uh, just for me, I find more birds with my tracking dogs and it's not because my true dogs aren't good. Yeah, no, that's great. And again, like you said, the, I think the, the, the point that we haven't, like, I have not heard, heard it described that way before. And, and again, I haven't read everything. I haven't watched everything like you, like we, we don't know everything, but sure. I, I, I'm familiar with a lot of the common theories and the common, you know, reading and writing about grouse dogs. And that's one that I, I haven't heard it described quite that way. So I think, uh, hopefully we mm-hmm. all, we all learned something today, Kyle. So thanks for that. Sure. <laughs> All right. So this was this was another interesting question. Tracking and true, you kind of touched on it in that just a minute ago. How early can you tell, and how the heck do you tell the difference between which ones are trackers and which ones are true? <laughs> uh, well, sometimes it's the pain in the ass pup that uh, you know uh, when you're putting your your release birds out. I'm a pigeon guy, true and through. Uh, being in New York and not having a ton of grouse to to train on. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of merit and value in release birds for the sake of the handler learning to read their dog, um, uh, and facilitating some quality early development with release birds as in knowing where the birds are. But, uh, yeah, sometimes your trackers are the, you know, um, uh, in a higher percentage of the times so we'll try to track you into your, into where you planted the bird, you know, and you got to become very creative uh, you know, to, to, you know, get them away from that human odor because they figure that out in a handful of times, uh, out. Um, but, uh, ultimately, um, I don't, I don't often know it for sure until the, the first, the first season, you know, once they're working the wild birds, because the, you know, the, the wild birds run and, uh, uh, you know, they don't behave like released birds. And, uh, you know, I, I sometimes don't know in, until that happens, but normally the dogs that are, I don't, I don't know if I go as far as saying the most needy, but the most, the most human centric, uh, all the time are going to be, uh, uh, closer to you. Um, and I, I think that, that, that in their brain that slows them down and that they have a good quality nose. I mean, nose quality is something that, that matters. I, I do think that there's those, those dogs that, um, you know, they, they cross it, they cross a trail and they're like, Whoa, Oh my God, you know, this, uh, you know, I smell a bird and there's no bird around and they follow up on it. Uh, for me, uh, I have a family farm about an hour from my house that, uh, I'll, I'll do my preseason stuff in. So that, that doesn't start till summertime, but I'll put, uh, you know, eight pigeons out in launchers or, you know, around the farm and I'll go and run one or two dogs at a time. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll pick up the launcher after, after, uh, I have set the bird down. Cause I, I move the launches around for each time, uh, most often. And I'll run, I'll run through an area that I had planted a bird, uh, let's say two hours prior. And the, the, the dog that, you know, at least stops and locks up for a moment on, on two hour old scent, um, that's very old scent when it comes to birds. Um, so when you got a dog that does that and it's doing that at six months old, um, you know, that's going to be a tracking dog, you know? Uh, and I don't discourage that, you know, I, I don't, I don't pay attention to it. You know, I don't go over there and promote it to, to be pointing this, uh, plume of, 
you know, a two hour old scent, but I don't discourage it, but it, it's, it's in that dog's brain. And so when we went in the woods, you know, in the months to follow and, uh, it's hunting at, you know, because of the, the nature of the dog, it's hunting at that three to seven mile an hour speed. And it's got a good nose, you know, clearly from what I just described in its scent acknowledgement. And it comes across some grouse scent, you know, maybe it's not nearly that old, you know, but the birds, you know, moved on. Um, it starts to pay attention to that and it gets itself into birds. And that's all it needs. Once the dog follows the track points and it, and it produces a flush, that dog's a tracking dog. And, it, and, it, and it, it's learned that that's what that that's what it's a, the means to an end, you know. Um, so it's hard to decipher that the, to me, the, the, the hardest thing to really identify, um, is, is the, the, the range, the hunting for the gun element in the woods. Um, because again, until you get them on grouse for first season, I feel that's where, um, you know, my, my close working dogs, you know, in their first season will be 75 yards or under. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, if I got a dog that's, 100 150 yards in the grouse woods you know in its first season six months 12 months old uh that might um that that might be cut in half you know with an additional year of maturity but if they're not a tracking dog uh you know i that's just that just that range is going to stay the same or potentially even increase as they get more experience and more bold um so um yeah you know it's it's uh some things are more predictable than others but uh i'm always looking my you know, my order of significance, you know, uh, for traits and my grouse dog would be cooperation, intelligence, nose in that order. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I feel that's paramount. If they have those three things, I don't care if they're a tracker or a true dog, you know, they're, they're going to, they're likely to be a very successful grouse dog and they're going to stay with me. Um, uh, and if they if they have those traits, um, and they're, like I said, pointing that area where a pigeon hasn't been for two hours. Um, you know, uh, there's a good chance that, uh, when you get, you know, I, I, I work really hard to make sure that my young dogs get on a gang of grouse in their first season. Usually that type of dog's going to turn into a tracking dog. Did we touch on, you mentioned earlier the illusion for the gun, right? Some people have the illusion. Ah, uh, yes, you, the illusion let's, to let's the Let's gun. cover that because yeah, I yeah. jotted it down next to me and I wanted to, <laughs> yeah, I wanted to hear yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm sure, uh, you know, a widely debatable topic. Sure. But, you know, so, I mean, to me, I feel that a lot of people feel that if your dog handles birds well, then it hunts for the gun. You know, I feel that's, I feel like that's become a synonymous thing. And I feel that that's not true at all. Um, you know, you could have a dog that ranges 200 yards and can slam a grouse down and, and, uh, you know, it be there when you get there. Um, but that to me, that's an incredibly independent dog. And if you're a grouse hunter, if you're a rough grouse hunter, <laughs> to me, that is not hunting for the gun. Um, uh, you know, I think a dog can hunt for a gun and be 400 yards away on the prairie you know, there's this sense of eye contact and general direction that's easy for the dog to 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 establish where the handler is. And I think the I think the connection between dog and handler in open country stretches far greater distances than it does in the grouse woods. Um, you know, we've all been there in the grouse woods where you haven't seen your dog for a little while and maybe you're anxious, maybe you're not, but you're curious where he is, you know, and, and you look at your GPS or yeah. you're, you're listening. If it's got a bell and you're listening, you know, 
if you're if you're doing that fairly often with the dog, no matter how well it handles birds, to me that dog doesn't hunt for the gun. You know, my dogs that I that I bag the most birds over, they really don't like to not see me. You know, um, they want to know where that gun is. Um, uh, and you know, again, I, I see them work a, a lot of the times, and they'll get out there seventy five yards. But man, there's there's never too many minutes that go by. You know, uh, where where I don't see my dogs. And again, the kissing sounds are one of those things, you know, uh, you know, you, you spend a lot of time with your dog, you know how it is like, oh, I haven't seen him in a couple minutes and you're about to pick up your garment off of your hip and the dog comes out in front of you, you know, yeah. um, that kind of thing. And, and, uh, you know, I, I want that all the time. I don't want to have to rely on my voice, rely on the electronics. Um, I want my dog when it's not in scent to be, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at strategically working a cover and I want my dog when it's not in scent to be, you know, casting circles around me. You know, I'm not one uh, to dogs got to be in front of me all the time. You know, I mean, uh, you know, depending upon our time, you know, scent theory might be a, a topic for another day. But sure. uh, yeah, yeah. that's 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 another huge topic that I feel that people think they know a lot more about than than meets the eye. And having a search and rescue background where, you know, I'm working German shepherds on uh, on 300 pound humans and looking how scent behaves uh, uh, from you know, that, that target odor, uh, the, the target that's producing that odor being out there from 30 minutes in the same spot to 12 hours and reading the scent picture. Um, and these dogs are looking for humans the same way that our dogs are looking for grouse. Um, you know, uh, we got a one pound, one pound scent source, uh, and people think that their dogs are, are, uh, you know, uh, super nose, you know, um, you know, and so that, that's a whole separate subject, but it does tie into, you know, the hunting for the gun idea. Um, but I feel that a dog needs to see the, see the handler a lot, be in check with the handler a lot. You know, I, I give you one, uh, uh, one quick story. Uh, um, one of my dogs, uh, you know, he was on point, uh, this is in New York, uh, uh, this season, uh, early November, uh, on a hillside, uh, loaded with briar, really difficult to navigate through. He's kind of slicing and dicing underneath it uh, uh, tracking. I could see him track plain his day going up this hill, gets out past the briar patch on the edge of this hemlock stand and he locks up. And so I do my kissy sounds, you know, to, to like double check to see if he's got, if he's got a good lock on this bird and, and he's not budging. I'm like, Oh man, I gotta get up there now. Right. So it's only like whatever, 50 yards or something, but it's not a fun 50 yards. So, uh, I'm trying to get through it. I'm tangled up in this web that's cutting me up and, and he's on point literally, I don't know no less than 10 minutes and he hasn't moved and I can see him. He can't see me. He knows where he came from. He's a tracking dog down the hill. He comes back to me kind of like, just like my, my search and rescue dogs, like looks at me with like the eye roll, like let's go <laughs> yeah. go back up there. He goes right back to the exact same spot, locks up on point. At this point, I'm much closer at that point. And I get up there a, a couple minutes later, as soon as I get up there, obviously he left, there was no bird, but he's, on the track right there he's in open area he knows this is where i can move and when i get up there he starts doing the tracking thing and we bagged that bird you know i think he might have had two additional points uh before uh before we we pinned it down um but to me that's a dog that hunts for the gun a dog that uh is points has hot enough scent to not move for 10 minutes acknowledging i'm not there comes back and finds me and gets me and goes back to the exact same spot and then proceeds down trail with a couple repoints, points. I step in front 20 feet, produces a, a flush that I get a shot at, 
and we bag the bird, you know? So that's to me a dog that, that defines hunting for the gun in my eyes. Um, I don't know how people, I always ask people, you know, what do you mean it hunts for the gun? And they don't really have a, their answer is more times than not is more so the dog handles birds well, you know? Um, so I don't know, everybody has their own spin on things, but that's my take on it. Yeah. I think again, it's good perspective. And, and so, yeah, you're kind of getting at, you know, independence and boldness and, and checking in. Mm -hmm. I mean, those are, those are things that a lot of people talk about all those things, you know, at, in different, different conversations at different points, just you're weaving, you're weaving them all together. And that's kind of one of your concepts and theories. And yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Oh man, that was, that was a lot of stuff. I mean, we could, we could definitely go on for hours. I know we could talk about grouse (laughs) grouse cover and we could talk about training and stuff. Um, but I think, I think we'll have to have you back on. I do want to ask one more thing. You know, I, I think, I think many of the things that we talked about kind of hit on it, but let's go first season, right? So we talked about puppies and we talked about early development a little bit, but first season, that's kind of a season where you hear a lot of different opinions on, you know, people are kind of like, don't worry about, you know, don't really worry about what happens. Just make sure you're getting your dog in the woods, get it on birds, make it, make it fun. What does the first season look like for your dogs? And then what are you looking for and what do you, what can you see if anything that is going to be real strong indicators of what's to come? Well, that is a super, super question. Um, I, uh, so I am, I am of the mindset, uh, and experience that, uh, you know, great grouse dogs are born and it's our job to, to, uh, you know, uh, maximize their genetic development. Um, and there are dogs, you know, there's some old sayings, you know, like takes three seasons to make a good grouse dog, you know? And, uh, I hear that all the time. We're like, Oh, you know, by the time he hits five, you know, yeah, sure. Those are prime ages for dogs. And, uh, but whether, whether my dog is six months old or 13 months old in his first season, uh, I, I give it, uh, the buffer of its first two weeks in the grouse woods. And again, mind you, like, uh, I am, I am going you know, into deep covers. I am, I am going and, and finding grouse for these dogs. Um, uh, some old timer sayings, you know, used to be, you know, you don't know what kind of grouse dog you have until it has a hundred contacts. You know, uh, I I've heard that a lot yep. from people, especially out in the Lake States. Um, and, uh, I, I would agree with that, but for me in that first season, um, <clears throat> uh, there is no reason why the Uber dog and, my assessments, you know, keep in mind are from a breeding perspective too. It's not, it's not whether or not, uh, uh, you know, you could take a dog that has a, a horrible first season and it's as good as any grouse dog out there in its third season, you right. know? Right. Um, so that's, that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but in terms of obviously from my breeder perspective, uh, an assessment, uh, I want the, <laughs> the best early developing dogs that, that I can produce and that I can find. Uh, and hope that they can produce. Um, so I've got, you know, there's not a dog that I have that does, that has under, uh, if we exclude their first two weeks of their season, minus a couple of them, meaning better. Um, if we exclude the first two weeks of their season and we look at from the, uh, the start of their third week to the end of their season, they don't stay in the breeding program. If they're not pointing over 70% of the birds that they come in contact with. Now I'm not talking about wild flushes out of trees, 50 yards ahead, but I'm talking about birds that, they clearly, uh, you know, even if they're on the wrong side of the wind that they bumped or something like that, 
Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a huge one for stats on, on my first year dogs for the sake of my breeding program. But uh, there's no reason why your super dog, if you're getting them on a ton of birds, that they can't be great at the end of the first season. I run, I run my dogs here in New York. We have a lot of Navda chapters and I have a lot of Navda buddies and any of them will, will, will tell you that, you know, uh, I run my nine month olds, you know, with their three to five year olds. And, uh, you know, my dogs hold their own. They do a good job. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that, uh, there's no reason why, you can't have an uber grouse dog at the end of the first season if it's had the contacts. Uh, my youngest dog, my little phenom, uh, she's got a little more range to her than I like, but I, I think she's going to adjust well in her second season. She was uh, a week shy of five months old, which is much younger than I like, but uh, uh, she was a week shy of five months old going into her first grouse season. And by the time she was sick, and I got her onto a lot of birds, those, those young dogs are my priority that first season. So I try to get them out five days a week. Um, and they hunt for, you know, uh, an hour plus, uh, every, every day that I possibly can get them out. And I give them my best areas I can possibly have. And everybody else gets the sloppy seconds, uh, you know, covers and, and, uh, the less prime times of the day. And, you know, I do everything I can to set up my young dogs for success, uh, to get them into birds. And this pup that I have, uh, she had her 100th grouse point when she was six and a half months old. You know, she's, uh, you know, her range is a little bit more than I like, but, I, you know, she'd get out 100 yards, but I, I would see her every two or three minutes, you know, no matter what. Um, and she handled the birds great. Um, but uh, so with maturity, you know, um, uh, you know, that range will shrink based on her checking in and everything. All those indicators are there. But I got her on the birds to be able to make her that grouse dog. Um and she's only going to get better, but, uh, there's no reason where if you have the contacts, um, you got to have the contacts, but, uh, all my dogs always see well over a hundred grouse in a, in a season, way over a hundred grouse. I, I, I'd have to look at my records, but, you know, arguably, you know, 200 grouse uh, in a season. But again, I, when I say I, I hunt 80 to 90 days a year, um, you know, fairly to <laughs> a, a lot of people I'm hunting six, eight hours a day you know, uh, uh, doing that. Um, so that's, uh, you know, I, I make sure I get the dogs, the exposure because that's really the only fair way to assess them. Uh, you know, my puppy people, you know, they live, you know, if I'm selling a puppy to, to a guy in a place that, you know, has a, uh, low bird numbers and he's an avid grouse hunter, but he's getting, you know, one grouse contact, uh, every other hour and he gets to hunt, you know, 20 to 40 days a year. You know, you, you can't, you, you can't, that's not a fair comparison. Um, yeah. you know, when you, when you're looking at it, so you gotta, you gotta keep that in mind, you know? So sometimes due to those circumstances, yeah, it takes three years to make a good grass dog. Uh, but it, it can also only take a month. <laughs> uh, if, uh, if, if the dog again has the cooperation, the intelligence and the nose, you know, add bird, add loads of birds to that. And there's no reason why you shouldn't have a great grass dog, but the one other thing I want to comment on on that is uh, what do I expect? And I think a lot of people like hang up their training hat. Um, I'm all about natural ability and, and I'm, I'm a much, very much hands off guy with my dogs uh, just for the sake of breeding assessments. Uh, and, you know, the dog trainers, the, the mechanics car never runs, the carpenter's house is never finished. The dog trainers dogs aren't always trained because um, I'm training everybody else's dogs. But, I get my guys bird exposure and the basic obedience necessary 
uh, to excel. And when I go out into the grouse woods, um, they're always learning. The dogs are never stop learning just because preseason and training season is over. Uh, it doesn't mean learning season ever ends, you know, learning season doesn't have an end date, you know? So I, I think, I think rough grouse hunters get themselves into more trouble probably than any other species hunter when it comes to shooting birds, you shouldn't because our opportunities can be far more limited. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, so, you know, a lot of people out there making their setters flushing dogs <laughs> because, because you had that beautiful shot where it just ran, it flew down the, the logging trail or, or, you know, your last five shots, you were shooting into dense spruce stands, you know, and now, uh, now you got the one just flying right over top of your dog was on the wrong side of the wind and bumped it, you know? So, so these things happen all the time. Uh, but your dog never stops learning, you know? So if I hear a grouse flush, even if, uh, and I don't see my dog and I, but the dog's just 20 yards away and it might be 20 yards in a different direction than where I heard the grouse flush. That's when I tell my dog, Whoa, <laughs> you know, and I make sure the dog is steady and my young dogs, this dog is Adi, you know, uh, if I thought, if I heard a flush or I thought maybe she bumped a bird, I'd tell her, Whoa, and I would go find her and I'd steady her up and I'd, and I'd walk around her, I'd walk ahead, and then I'd give my kissing sounds to go ahead. And I do that with every single flush. And if you ha- and if you have self-control problems, leave your gun at leave your gun at camp. You know, if uh, uh, there's no point in having a pointing dog if you're not gonna do everything you can to encourage it to point. You know, and uh, certainly, you know, manners. And I'm not a big manners guy, but manners can get sloppy on wild birds, and 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 they get sloppy because people's priority becomes begging that bird as much as their dog pointing the bird or even more so, you know? So, uh, the dog, again, I, I always tell my, my puppy clients, the dogs, the learning season is year round. The dog never stops learning. And, you know, you don't want to have to, you know, uh, I find that woe breaking my guys, uh, I'm strictly rough grouse hunter. So my guys are just, you know, uh, staying, you know, to the flush and then, and then they go, then they, then they break. Um, but for, for my guys that I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you know, teaching to be steady beyond that, you know, you're making your job just more harder. You get, you, you're going to have to be potentially harder on the dog. Um, uh, it's just, it's just not necessary. So to me, I get those contacts in as much as I can. I realize they never stop learning. I make sure that I steady my dogs up every single time, whether it's just takes five birds or 50 birds, you know, I steady them up every single time. I think there's a remote chance that that dog bumped, bumped the bird. Um, and, uh, that's how you really get your, you get your, uh, dogs to know what their job is and what you expect of them. And I'm fine with not shooting a bird. I mean, I, I love a, I love a bird in the hand and everything that when everything comes together, the plan comes together just the way you want. But if I got a bird in my hand and it's, and it doesn't line up with my plan, <laughs> Uh, then I didn't do right by my dog and why I acquired that dog in the first place when we're talking about pointing breeds. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff, man. I, you can open the door for a lot of uh, frustration if you want to take those shortcuts and, you know, shoot, yeah. shoot bump birds. And, and, and again, like, it's like everybody, everybody can, is entitled to their own experience and that's fine. Sure. But it's like, if you're, if your dog bumps a bird and you shoot it and then the dog does something down the road that you know isn't perfect like you just got to kind of accept that right like you be okay with yeah. that and if the, and if you are okay with that that's good but you just got to be careful yeah. managing that frustration yeah. and it, it's also it's also very uh 
it's not always black and white. Like it's a tough thing. And like you said, priorities and we're hunting and we got limited time in the woods and there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think it's no, there's easy thing. There's a lot for of anybody. pressure. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of, a lot of pressure that uh, we end up putting on ourselves and our dogs and, yep. and it's uh it's difficult. It's a, it's a tough thing. And there, there are exceptions, you know, to, you know, things, but uh, I, I can honestly say that in all the birds that I have shot that weren't over a point, <laughs> I could count on one hand, the number of birds that I, that I didn't regret doing so, you know, um, over the, over the years, you know, uh, and besides the fact it really doesn't make me feel good. I can tell you that I do not pull a trigger, uh, over a New York bird. There are far and fewer in between. And, uh, you know, going out with my pointing dog, uh, to watch that dog do its thing, its birthright, uh, and, uh, you know, to, to shoot one of the few grouse that I get to see, and we get better shot opportunities. I feel here in New York because our cover is just different. Uh, we got some similarity crossovers, but, uh, you know, I, I let a bird sail if, uh, uh, you know, if it was mishandled or the dog was on the wrong side of the wind or I bumped in and the dog happened to be right there, you know, it's just, uh, that's not, uh, that's not part of the plan, you know, and it's important to, when we're talking about dog training and making grouse dogs, uh, you really got to have a plan and, uh, there's not a lot of deviation from it when you look at the core components uh necessary to get that dog to where you want it to be yeah yeah excellent excellent all right man well i do want to give you a chance to talk about the reason that i got in touch with you last week and that is a you got like a new video series coming up so if people have been listening to this and they've they're really interested in the stuff you have to say which would not surprise me um they're going to be able to uh to access a little bit more resources from you coming up so give us the give us a high level on that yeah sure i appreciate it um so something i want to do for a number of years is get a, uh, a membership, uh, video series going. And, uh, every year my puppy people, you know, my 20 or 30 or plus puppy people are like, you know, what can I, where can I go for this resource and that resource? And there's a lot of great resources out there and, and endless resources. Um, uh, I, I, I one of the things about my breed uh, and setters in general, you know, I, I'm always saying soft dog, soft dog, soft dog, you know, and, and I feel um, uh, there's a lot of training models out there that are very successful um, and uh, aren't aren't fully um, uh, tailored to the softer dog uh, and of setter type. I feel a lot of them uh, uh, versatile breeds benefit more greatly or more of your your uh, your more bold, uh, 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 you know, big running, more field trial type setters. Uh, you know, do find disconnected kind of grow with their puppy from obedience leading up through their first season and it's in its infancy this is just really getting started um i got i got a uh, a bunch of uh, basic obedience videos uh with with my uh, puppies i start their obedience around four months of age and whatnot uh there's a there's a ton of great uh, information there with uh, me um going over all of that uh there's a lot of sit down chats uh, touching upon some of the stuff that we've talked about today um, uh, in there and it's going to be a continually evolving, uh, membership, uh, it's an annual membership setup, uh, but really good and geared towards, uh, setters, Llewellyn's, my dog specifically, uh, and raising them up through the first season. Uh, there's, uh, going to be a lot of, uh, uh, pigeon stuff in there, you know, uh, uh, you know, dogs are only as good as the birds that we're working them on. Um, so there's, there's a, a whole backstory and education on on uh pigeons and and uh release birds uh that'll be in there i'm gonna do uh it's on vimeo uh there's gonna be vimeo live chats 
uh, within the membership. So uh, have to see how interactive that's going to be, but that's going to be happening starting uh, late spring, most likely. But I got about 25 videos on there right now, uh, and I'm I'm adding uh, you know a handful pretty much every month. Uh, and with the puppies I have now bringing up uh, that are four months of age, uh, I'm just getting that ball rolling um, uh, myself and uh, putting up uh, videos now uh, all the time going forward. So it's a great resource uh, for the do-it-yourselfers that we're kind of in that age with bird dogs these days um, uh, with all the resources out there that we have. And uh, most definitely perfect for um, Llewellyn people. Um, regardless of what species you hunt, you know, uh, the obedience and the way in which I go about it can all be the same. So, uh, uh, you know, it's been well received so far. Uh, it's been out there now just for a couple weeks. Um, and, uh, it's going to be a huge part of my future, uh, with, uh, raising and developing, uh, bird dogs going up to the first season and doing more started dogs in the future. And hopefully I can grow a good, good community, uh, um, uh, uh with it. And I, I think people really like it. If they interested, you can, um, uh, reach the link uh, through my website, uh, paintriverlewellens.com, uh, or uh, directly on the page would be uh, vimeo.com forward slash on demand forward slash paintriverlewellens. Um, but uh, either of those locations will get you there. You can check it out a little bit. Um, but uh, I think it's going to be a great community. Uh, it's been well received so far and, uh, you know, prime time. Uh, 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 great time to get into it, uh, rolling in the spring uh, with the pups I got on the ground that I'm going to be developing. And uh, there'll be a lot of Q&A and going back and forth. So I'm really looking forward to interacting uh, with the community on it. Awesome, man. I'm, uh, I'm really looking forward to see what you do with it. And again, there's, like you said, it's a great time to be a DIY dog trainer and a bird hunter. And we, we need more resources though. We need more high quality resources. So I'm looking forward to see what you do with it. And you were uh, about halfway through that. And my, my good uh, Bluetooth speaker phone died. So I, I lost you for a second, but I think we caught most of it, but I guess that means it's time for us to wrap up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time today, Kyle. This was a fun conversation. I think the listeners are going to love this one, especially the grouse hunters out there and the, and the setter owners, that's for sure. But thank you so much. And uh, we'll, we'll definitely have you back on, but uh, let's keep in touch, man. All right. Take care. Thanks for having me. All right. See you, Kyle. Bye-bye. Bye. been listening to the project upper podcast as your host nick larson i'd like to thank you for tuning in each and every week and i'd like to thank our partners on the project upland podcast bringing you each and every episode of the show pine ridge grouse camp dog trick callers gordian sons outfitters you premium dog food and dakota 283 kennels Remember, you could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Subscribe to the podcast. Share the podcast post or send us some email. I'd love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email, nick.larsonandnorthwoodscollective.com. Don't forget to head over to projectupland.com to see everything else we've been up to. Films, blogs, articles, gear reviews, and much, much more. Head over to projectupland.com. That's it for this week's episode of the Project Up and Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you on the next show.
Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.